This is the Humerian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts for the well-being of yours. This is the Humerian Health Podcast. This is Dr. Sean Benzinger, and we're here today with Dr. Jessica Vogelsang. Uh, she was with Paul Curious, if I'm not mistaken, and we're, we're uh, discussing pain related to Animal Pain Awareness Month. And Dr. Vogelsang, thank you for just taking the time to be with us to talk about something so important and so serious. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, it's such an important topic, and I'm really glad to hear people understand or starting to learn about how important it really is with our pets. Well, I think uh, the biggest issue is, um, you know, all of us have had a pet that tweaks something and they squeal or something like that, acute pain, you know, something that just happens. We've all seen that. But what I think most of us don't see and don't understand is the capacity of the animal to suffer without ever knowing it's happening. Yeah, you know, and I think that's one of the the most common things that I hear from pet owners when they say, well, he must not be in pain. You know, he's not yelping. Correct. And like you said, there's such a, an, a big difference between acute pain and chronic pain. And so I always tell those people, you know, can you tell by looking at me that I have broken vertebrae in my back? And they say, no. And it's like, well, I do. <laughs> wow. And and it hurts. Um, but you don't know that because I don't walk around all day saying, ow, 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 unless of course I want to get out of doing something, you know, but, but you do, you, you bear it in silence. And you know, you communicate it, but not in the way that you think. It's not a verbal communication, but there are so many other clues that they give us that they're in pain. You just have to know what to be looking for. Now, it, it, it I, I don't know. You know, they say, you know, in the human side, of course, women say they're tougher, they can handle more men. But how about cats and dogs, um, female to male? Are there, are there, uh, certain species that just endure it better and, or have less <laughs> indicators than others? I would say in the dog world, mm. it's more of a breed variance. Hmm. Um, there are some dog breeds that are just extremely stoic and other ones that are a little more um, intense and like the yippy dogs to begin with, you know, that we call them dramatic, right? You just touch them the wrong way and they, <laughs> and they yeah. haven't done anything. And then there's other dogs that can have a broken leg pointing the wrong way and they just kind of sit there and, and look at you. So, you know, dog owners know this. They they will be able to tell you if they have a dog who's very dramatic and, and makes a scene. Um, but it's the stoic ones that you really sure. have to look out for. Um, and cats in general are very stoic because they are they're both predator and prey species which is unusual um, mm. most animals are one or the other right. but but they can go either way and so it's really to their disadvantage if they display the fact that they're hurt um, because that makes them a more attractive target for something that wants to eat them so I mean, it's amazing to see what cats will tolerate and wow. the only thing the owner will say is oh he's just been slowing down a little bit <laughs> He's got this poor belly full of metastases or really, really <laughs> um, significant osteoarthritis, you know. So we know now that we need to be looking out for these things. But even in the veterinary community, we've only really started to understand and and notice how important it is in the last 10, 15 years. Well, that's unfortunate, isn't it? A lot of suffering. Well, and, and many of us, you know, not that many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, um, Many people still lived on farms, and dogs and cats were part of it, and other animals, and and uh, you just kind of got along. And if 
they had a sprained leg, you had a sprained leg, you lipped around, nobody went to the doctor, did anything. And it's probably right. more recently that the pet has become part of the home um, yes. on a consistent basis in what, the last 20 years, maybe 25 years? That's I mean, it's common to have animals that live inside with the humans all the time. And when, when I was oh, raised, the dog yes. was always outside. If it ever came in, it was just an oddity. And, and so a lot of things have changed. Oh, significantly, yes. <laughs> now you have people buying bow ties for their pets. So, <laughs> yes, we look at them a little differently than, than we oh did. Oh, my in gosh. The past. I, I, but that's I, great. I, after doing all these interviews with uh, blog posts, f- folks, I mean, it, truth of the matter is, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I hold different. I have completely had my eyes completely open to the extent that the animal means something to a home because I, I, I've, I, we even had a few. It's kind of like, yeah, my kids, they'll get along, but my, not not my dog. My dog's really, okay, I got it, okay. Pretty important yeah. part of the household, but they are part of the household, and that is changing aggressively across society, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think just the, this idea, like you said, that that pets aren't a thing. You know, they're, they're a member of the family, and we see that reflected in every aspect of how pets are involved in our lives. We see it in the way that people um, bring them into the homes. We see it in the amount of money they're willing to spend. Right. You see it in folks who are willing to, you know, go out and buy organic food and cook for their pet. And yet, you know, their kids are at home eating McDonald's. hundred percent, hundred percent. When my niece, she, she's um, she, she's pregnant with her second child, which is all wonderful. I was out visiting her when I was out in Blog Falls because they live in Kansas City. And, I, you know, the goodies, they give you these goodie bags I bring in. She's just overwhelmed with it. But she's going through and she's reading all the ingredients and everything. I says, what are you doing? She says, reading all the ingredients. I says, do you do that at the at the grocery store? She go, she looks at me. She goes, no, I, I, I don't. And that's not very good, is it? And I said, probably not. And she said, I, but now think about it. I'm, I'm thinking about making sure the animal gets exactly what they should with the best products. And I'm not even reading my family's. She said, and she's really changed since then. It's really hilarious. She's calling me about all these things and different names that she's never heard of. And I, she said, I didn't even know I was ignoring my family like that, but that's not uncommon. It really is not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is funny, you know, and I mean, At the end of the day, people do it because they care and they're looking for ways to express how important their pet is to it, to them. And that's, that's wonderful. You know, and I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give our pets as they age is just being aware of the fact that pain is common. You know, 80% of cats over the age of 10 have arthritis. We didn't even know that until we started looking because we just assumed they're acting okay. They must be fine. But when you do a study and actually take radiographs, like, oh my gosh, they all have all this spondylosis in their spines, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not it shouldn't surprise anyone, right? But we just, just don't think about it. Right. They're aging like any any other uh, being. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit more about how do they... So the common sense of aging makes sense. So let's start with cats as best as we can. Can you give some of the, uh, some of the listeners, some of the owners, um, indicators or things that you tell them to look for, of course, not eating, et cetera, but what are the most common uh, patterns uh, that you will say, yeah, you see these patterns, bring them in. I'd, I'd want to look at them. You know, the most the most important thing is to be aware of the patterns in the first place. Yeah, makes and sense. And most people are. Um, 
by the time a pattern is significant enough for you to notice it, that means it's significant. So okay. if you see a change in, in behavior, I'll give you an example. If you have a pet who's um, not using the litter box all of a sudden and, mm-hmm. and the cat's been doing it their whole life, you need to start asking yourself, well, there has to be a reason, you know, maybe it's behavioral. If there's been changes, you've moved, you have somebody new um, who's moved into the house, maybe they're arthritic and they have a difficult time getting in and out of the box. Um, Maybe they're feeling nauseated and the smell of a sudden is bothering them. So, so there are a lot of different, very specific things. And as a pet owner, you're not going to necessarily have the tools to be able to tease out what the problem is right. but the absolute best thing you can do is notice it and, and come in in the first place okay. you know that that's your job as as a pet owner that makes sense that makes sense so let's go to the dogs and just go to the let's i guess the the uh, smaller breeds or the the yippy breeds i guess you'd say that's a little bit easier maybe for the for the owner but let's go to the more sto- stoic is that more like german shepherds collies things like this or am i am i far yes. off there okay no that that would be that would be right yeah yeah okay. those dogs that are not really particularly verbal for um a stoic dog the number one thing that people say to me that makes the alarm bells go off is he's just slowing down okay. right they you just you consider um, he's old and that's just something that comes with aging. And so one of the things that we often say in hospice and palliative medicine is, you know, age is not a disease. Age comes with a bunch of symptoms and they're oftentimes symptoms that we can treat. So what does slowing down mean? It means that they don't want to jump in the car. Well, why not? Is it because he's old or is it because he's arthritic and in pain? I can do something about that. Not wanting to go up and down stairs. Um, It is shocking how many times a pet's appetite is decreased because of dental disease uh, you know sure. people um really underestimate the impact that it has on their life and when you sort of we, we try not to anthropomorphize too much but really i think this is a fair extrapolation right if we have one little toothache yeah. we're miserable you know, imagine these pets that haven't had dental care maybe for several years and they've got tartar and plaque everywhere and all this junk underneath the gums that you can't see yes it's painful and if you treat it they feel like a million bucks and it affects every part of their lives not only um, their willingness to eat but their attitude and their energy levels so pain pain impacts everything particularly over time you know, I have definitely seen a, a, a significant pattern, even with the vet that I use, and she's an alternative doc, uh, acupuncture, uses herbals, all kinds of things, and standard care, of course. Uh, but I've seen her practice in the last seven, eight, nine years, really paying attention to the teeth. And she's, she said, hey, listen, we've underestimated the value of healthy teeth in animals for a long period of time, and now the research is really pushing us forward to to pay attention and seeing big issues with it. And when it's healthier, the animal lives longer and feels better. Absolutely. Yep. So let's just talk about what happens once, because I, I know, I've, I've heard the stories of they bring the animal in and it's, you know, it's got severe cancer, it's too far down the line. But let's just talk about the one that comes in with an arthritic pain or some type of physical pain that you're looking at and think, hey, we we can assist this animal. What type of therapies are now available for 
the development of acute and chronic pain in basic conditions such as arthritis and things that can be managed? Yep. Um, I think the number one greatest leap that we've made in the way that we manage, particularly chronic pain, we've always been okay at acute pain Mm because it's a little more obvious. Um, But with chronic pain, the whole concept of multimodal pain management, um, and that's something that obviously, you know, we're seeing in people as well, this idea that if you approach pain from the multiple areas in the body that that is impacting, you're going to have a better overall result. So a, a lot of people, you know, if they find out their pet has arthritis, they say, well, you know, I'm really scared of these NSAIDs. I've, I've heard bad things about Rimadyl. Is there something else we can do? And so we kind of go through their fears and why we think that that may or may not be something that that they need to worry about. Um, but we can do acupuncture. You know, you can do massage and physical therapy. Um, there are other types of medications in addition to NSAIDs, which I still use and the vast majority of pets tolerate them really well. But if you're using other forms of pain management as well, then you can decrease that need. You know, opioids are sort of a, a last um sort of last ditch thing that we use in end of life pets for the same reasons um, in people. Well, it's not that they tend to be addicted, but it's just very difficult to get a hold of them now. But we can do great things with with multimodal management. I know a lot of folks that use laser therapy. Yes. Um, and you know, when, when it comes to um, the number one thing that helps a pet with arthritis, and it's it's so basic and people forget it all the time is making sure the pet's at a healthy weight. It doesn't matter what the cause is of their arthritis. The pet will always benefit from being at a healthy weight. Yeah, makes sense. I I could imagine because it depends on the amount of degeneration. It might not be so severe. It might be mild to moderate in the beginning and goes from there. And that that has to make a difference. Now, do they at this point use still chondroitin sulfates and things like that to be able to help rebuild cartilage? Uh, Is that used in animals very often? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we use that as well as part of our, our multimodal management. It tends to be something um, I like to have people, particularly with large breed dogs, you know, start it as a, a preventive measure early in, in the pet's life. Um, if you have a Labrador, you know, those dogs that are prone to these joint diseases anyway, once a pet's starting to show clinical signs of arthritis, it's usually not enough by itself, but it's certainly a, a wonderful adjunct therapy. Yeah. And and do you, do you use anti-inflammatories in these type of cases? I I do um, because it it helps, you know, most of these these pets feel better. Now, the typical dosing, you know, depends on on the medication. Some of them are once a day, twice a day, mm-hmm. but if you are effectively utilizing these other um you know, particularly the alternative therapies that mm-hmm. have a sort of a lower um indication of maybe adverse reactions, then then it can decrease the dosage or decrease the frequency. And that makes that makes everybody happy. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, and, and arthritis, it's it's a it's a chronic disease, right? And it tends to be progressive over time, but I think people don't um sort of maybe think of it in in the fact that if you have a pet who is experiencing this disease. It's not what we would consider a life limiting illness. You know, people, people don't die of arthritis. However, it has a significant impact on quality of life. And for people, one of the endpoints when they're deciding whether or not to say goodbye, can my pet get up? 
Um, can my pet walk yes. and use yes. the bathroom outside? Right. And those things do have a direct correlation with, with how long they live. So it, it does all of these things add up, all yep. of these things. Well, and, I, and I tell you, it all makes sense of what you're speaking. I used to have a chronic pain center for 10 years, and integrated care, as you're speaking of, I mean, it is exactly, and you've listed a majority of those things that show highly successful um, therapeutic benefit when integrated together and, and doing that with someone who's very comfortable with it. So it all makes sense. I, I have to ask this only because before we go on to more of the <clears throat> uh, chronically ill and moving towards those that are end of life ill uh, animals. But um, do you uh, have you been experimenting or seeing any research on the CBD oil craze on animals yeah. of any value, or do you think it's it's you've tried it and it really is working? Well, and it's, it's such a challenge for us. You know, five years ago, nobody was talking about it at all. Correct. And now when you go to these, um, the big continuing education meetings, I mean, the rooms are overflowing. We want to know. Um, and being, you know, and being doctors, we want to see the science. And right. that's the struggle for us right. is that we can't. Yep. Um, that, that nobody's doing the studies. I, th yep. I think one or two vet schools, maybe in Colorado, are trying to get a little bit of a knowledge base so that we can confidently recommend it based on evidence-based medicine. But that's that's the trick. Anecdotally, when you talk with folks who have been using it, they report good results. Owners are happy. Um, veterinarians who have recommended it are happy. We have our hands tied in many states because right. legally you can't even give them any sort of general advice. Yep. And and that's a shame. Yeah, it is. You know, anytime there's something that that can help somebody sure. who's in pain, we want to be able to to do it, but it's it's hard when you really don't have any idea what to tell them and you don't know, you know, what proper dosing might look like Absolutely. or what manufacturers have that. So so it's a struggle. Yeah, it'll but come. I it'll come. Over time, I, I, think I think you're so. going to see the research. But it is one of the more unusual uh, waves. Uh, I've been in practice 36 years. It's one of the most unusual waves of the aggressive nature of it with almost no real research that I can see. Even on the human side, now there's some coming out and everything else, and then they compare it to marijuana use and all that kind of stuff, but there's so many problems with it. But I remember when uh, we were talking about vitamin D being a big deal 30 years ago, but it was because <laughs> there was there was already good clinical research saying, hey, low vitamin D levels do play a role in several autoimmune and yada yada issues. So, But this is an oddball. So I have to ask just because I'm interested in where you guys are at and if we've come across anything, because you're right, the, the science is not there and... Yeah, so it's a tough one, but it would. You're saying that in some states, that the the physician, the vet themselves, that are able to give high caliber drugs, do surgery, and do everything else, cannot even advise or recommend how to evaluate such things. No, and wow. isn't that a shame? That's what didn't you make know, any I, sense. I, <laughs> it's not going to kill the animal think, unless you're drinking it. I mean, it's just come on. It's, yeah, it's that sounds more political um, than so benefit. Yes, the official answer is we cannot advise you. Um, <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I'm not asking anymore. I'm not getting you in trouble. Okay, <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the uh, the life ending, um, uh, unfortunate cases of uh, pain uh, that are most time, you know, uh, cancer or or other heart failure things like that. And I guess with cats, isn't it kidneys frequently and other things like that? So, 
Take us through yep. uh, what you do in your practice, some of the recommendations that you follow through to make life quality somewhat um, better for these animals as long as you can before you jump to euthanization or, or, or other steps. Yeah, you know, it's, it's such an interesting dichotomy. And I think veterinarians forget this. We are the only profession that is that considers euthanasia not only okay, but almost like an ethical obligation. Right, you know, right. if we see a pet and we suffering. consider them suffering, right. then we say, well, it's absolutely inhumane Humane. that you're right. letting them continue to live. And yet mm-hmm. MDs and, and DOs, you know, they have a com- the completely 180 view of that, yep. right? And so when clients come in and they're not ready to say goodbye, it's, it's horrible. You hear the stories over and over where the vet sort of makes them feel guilty or makes them say goodbye before they're ready. And so I just want um, pet owners to understand that this is sort of an institutional thing that we are struggling with and, and trying to get over and helping veterinarians to remember we have a different point of view. And when people come to us, instead of just saying, this is when it's time to say goodbye, X, Y, Z, we all have our little checklist. We really need to dig down into the individual disease processes and understand what it looks like for for those pets when they get closer to end of life. And if somebody is not ready to choose euthanasia, what are the very, very specific symptoms that we can palliate? Um, Veterinarians are starting to learn how to do that. Many of them don't. And so I would certainly encourage somebody, if they have a pet who has a life-limiting disease, to to seek out a veterinarian who's specifically trained in in palliative care. And we're really leaning on on our um, colleagues in in human medicine to help us understand the the specific symptoms and types of pain that, that folks are experiencing so we can sort of extrapolate that. For, for our animal pets. And we actually have some um, studies that have shown if you have a pet who has um, has one of these terminal illnesses, let's say cancer or, or renal disease, and instead of trying to cure it, you decide that you just want to do palliative care, right. they actually live longer um, because the palliative care is so much more effective at giving them quality of life that these owners choose euthanasia later in in the process. So it's a very, very interesting concept. Yep. I'm so thrilled that we are finally coming around and starting to understand that that palliative care is much more than just a little bit of pain medication. You know, there's a lot of things we need to address. Okay. Okay. So you're seeing a smoothing out basically of that process to allow them options early on instead of it's either you're going to let the animal go or you're just going to yes. let them suffer. Yeah. So a, a lot of times when people do palliative care, they focus just on pain, yeah. which is fine. I mean, pain is one of the elements you need to address, but we're not dealing with nausea, um, any sort of, you know, cognitive changes, all those sorts of things as well. Okay. That sounds really good. Anything else that you're seeing in your vet services that you see is going to be a dynamic change or that you're hoping for on the pain front that might be valuable for the listeners? I am very excited about the possibilities with telemedicine, Hmm. particularly with hospice care, because a lot of people, they just don't come in because if the pet is is struggling to get up, it's difficult to get them in the car. They don't 
they don't want to come in for these follow-ups. And so we're unable to give them good recommendations. And so I'm very, very hopeful that um, and it's not legal right now, um, unless you've already met the veterinarian and established your veterinarian client patient relationship. I mean, you can't call up a vet and over the phone meet for the first time and have them make a diagnosis or, or prescribing. But if you have a pet that, that you've been seeing for a while and has these, um, one of these diseases, it is perfectly legal for the veterinarian to um, Skype with you, have you send them a video and, and make some assessments that way so the pet doesn't need to come in. So I am super excited. Oh, about absolutely. That. Now, it's basically the impediment as it has been in the medical side, which is now breaking through because. I know our insurance company has it now, so it's it's happening. And I know it had to do with cross lines, state lines, and different um, um, licensures. There was a lot of things. Uh, right now, is there any state that allows this for vets? <laughs> I think there's like one or two, um, and, and the vets there don't do it. A Connecticut, okay. Alaska, which okay. would make sense. Yeah, it does make so sense. So right. we have a we have a long road ahead of us, but the important thing to remember mm. is if you are a current patient, you can do it. And in that case, the barrier is just the vet doesn't want to. Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> As consumers demand it, we'll see more. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think that's brilliant. And also, you can call in experts in different states to be able to assist in, in specific situations when one vet doesn't feel comfortable with the situation. I mean, I, just think about it. It's just better health care. It's less expensive. Absolutely. It's uh, Yeah, yeah. I, I 100% yeah. agree with you. Okay, you've been uh, very gracious to give me a lot of time, and I really appreciate it. I know that uh, for the month, the Animal Pain Awareness Month, this is a wonderful program, and, and Dr. Vogel saying thank you so much. I just really appreciate your time, your effort, and your professional ethics and, your, and, and all the information you've brought to us today. I know the listeners will love it. And by the way, when you're doing the telemedicine, are you going to use those earphones? Uh, is that what you're going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Only if it's audio and not video. <laughs> I had to ask. I had to ask. Yeah. I was just thinking they would you'd be known. You say, Oh my gosh, you gotta see she's got these really cool earphones and, and she's such they a cool doc like a, and yeah, she's the coolest. Princess Leia <laughs> That's <ears>. it. <laughs> Dr. Jessica Vogelsang, thank you so much for your time and we really appreciate you and appreciate your effort today. Thank you. Amy Baker, Dr. Sean Benzinger. Humarian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts. For the well-being of yours. That's right. Thanks for having the guts to listen to the Humarian Health Podcast. Make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Humarian Health. If you have things you'd like to gut check, send us an email at gutcheck at humarian.com. Humarian.